Well, I hope you're ready for Christmas. If you aren't, you have a little bit of time. Uh, I, I want to, I wanna, if you're brand new, I, I, I want to talk to you just, and then I'm going to get into this. But uh, Christmas is coming, and as a church, we make a big deal about gathering around Christmas. And so we're offering 11 services, all locations, for the Christmas services. So there's plenty of options. But I want to specifically deal with one of them, and I'm going to talk directly to the fellows at RCMU. We're having a Christmas service there, and, and I get to be there in person. And so I hope that you fellows will invite people. I say the same thing to East and West. Invite people. Christmas is a great time to invite someone to church. They may not slap you, uh, and they may not yell at you. They may make sense to them. But I'm going to tell you one of the greatest things that you can do is in the midst of all of your Christmas responsibilities, and I don't mean to stress some of you out, <laughs> in the midst of all those responsibilities, I think it would be extremely wise that you would invite someone. They, it's not on you to, to make them go. In fact, do not drag them here against, well, maybe you should, I don't know. But don't, don't break the, the law. But I'm going to tell you, Christmas is coming, and I I hope you'll invite someone. I'm going, to, I'm going to invite as many people as I can. Uh, you're some of them. And, and I want you to invite people not just for the sake of gathering as a church, but I get to share the good news about Jesus. And so find someone to invite, whether they like you or not, or whether you know them or not. Now, in the midst of this Christmas season, we need to have a, a gift conversation. So I don't know if you've, if you've made a list. I don't know if you've told certain people what you're going to ask for or what you're planning on getting them. In fact, some of you, you, the way you give gifts, you don't care if they want it or not. It's what you want to give them. You know those people, right? You're like, why are you trying to be creative? I gave you a list. So I don't know if you make a list or if you're like, hey, be creative on this. Uh, we as a family, because we got three kids, Christmas can get a bit out of hand. All of a sudden, you're like, how did that, what, why, who's got presents? How many do they each have? So we have a system. It's not unique to us. Katie follows this, and I champion her. Uh, something you want, something you need, something you wear, and something you read. We make sure the kids get those gifts, and that's it. Some of them, I would like to combine them all into one somehow, but that doesn't work. Uh, and, and most of them don't want, I mean, for those of you who get underwear and socks at Christmas, huh? Yeah? Some, no? Okay, just, just what our family does. Okay. Uh, so those are gifts. Now, some of you are like, you know what, David? I'm overwhelmed right now with what to give someone. I need some help. Well, I'm here to help you. So if you do not know what to give other people, I've got some options. One of them might be an M&M toilet. <laughs> if, you're, if you're brand new, it didn't take very long for me to offend you. Just welcome to Fountain Springs Church. So I don't know, some of you need to take notes. You're like, all right, these are good gifts. And as you've thought a little bit more about the significance of the M&Ms in the toilet, now it's getting more and more gross for you. You're like, that's disgusting, David. Move on. Okay, I'll move on. Here's a better gift. The shotgun plunger. <laughs> I did not know that these existed. I am now going to try to get one of these in every bathroom that I can possibly... This is a... There's sound effects. Come on. So you're like, this is disgusting. No, this is real life. And what better way than in South Dakota to have a shotgun as a plunger? Come on. No amens with that? All right. Come on. All right. Some of you, you're just disgusted. You're like, we don't talk bathroom in church. Okay, let's talk apparel. So maybe you're in the mood to buy someone some clothes. I got an idea for you. It's a sweatshirt for multiple people. 
Now, here's what my wife knows, that I would decline ever using this. I'm like, I don't care. I, we're not, then no. What I think it's funny is that $79, if any of you ever pay $79 for one of these, you and I need to talk because you got a problem. Now, now, when it comes to gifts and Christmas, if you remember way back, some of you, way, way back, maybe, maybe you wrote a letter, not a list, a letter, and you sent that letter to Santa. I went, I went online and gathered a couple of letters that at least I resonate with. I believe these are real as far as I can tell. Here's one, Dear Santa, I wanted to tell you that I am fine. I didn't know how, but if you can, could you possibly make it so I can turn into a dragon? <laughs> he even puts please. Please, or, or a pet dragon. Either one will do, though I would like it if you make me turn into a dragon. P.S. Have a happy Valentine's Day. So cute. Now here's my favorite because this, this is like current. Dear Santa, please text my dad. He has my whole list. I love you, XOXOXO. <laughs> I, I don't know what you've done, what you've done with lists and presents and stuff like that. And, and for those of you, I know that Christmas is not about presents. But, but let's, let's have a conversation here. For those of you who are adults or you've grown up a bit and, and you no longer write letters to Santa... What if you were to write a letter to Santa? What if you were actually as a grown-up now, and, and I gave you permission to do this, you're like, okay, I don't want to feel silly on this, but you were to actually draft a letter to Santa to, to offer, you know, a list or, or what you want. Some of you, I think it would change, well, at least I hope it would change, versus when you were eight, and, and what, rather than ask for a toy, maybe some of you would draft like, dear Santa, fix my spouse, if you can, or... Or maybe you would ask, like, dear Santa, can, can you help me with this? I think some of our adult questions, our grown-up letters to Santa, would look different than when we were younger. And in fact, they might be impossible. Can you imagine the idea of writing a letter, and then all of a sudden on Christmas, you get a little envelope underneath the tree. It's from Santa saying, hey, I fixed your problem for you. You'd be like, this is amazing. So, so what would it look like? I, I, what I want to do is go into the Christmas story through this series. And I want to look at the different characters with the presumption that they may, have, they may have written a letter to Santa. What would they have asked for? Because I think if you and I were to do this, we could get at some real stuff about real life. So here's what I think many of us would write. Dear Santa, I want control. You, you, if you could. I'm, I know some of you are like, well, sure, that would be nice. Is that possible? No, I don't think it's possible. But I think this control word is when you and I grow up. When you and I start to live life, that control seems to be oftentimes out of our grasp, right? But we want it. Just think about the different movies that you watch or TV or the different conversations that you have. Many times the plot and the subject line of a lot of the stuff that we're involved in is control. Who has it? And I would tell you, if you don't make control a topic at some point, it may get you. It may become so overwhelming that this control thing may consume you. Where many of us, what, what your kids are doing or not doing, some of you are you're consumed by, I wish I could just make them do this or say this. Or maybe it's in your marriage or at work, at school. So let me ask you a question. I think it's a helpful question. What do you do when you don't have control? Don't answer out loud. Because most of us don't want to answer this out loud. When you realize that you don't have control over a situation or a relationship or circumstance, what do you normally do? Just think about it in your head. 
Some of you are quiet and you're passive about it. Some of you stew. Some of you, well, you don't stew and you're the opposite. You scream and yell and, and you grab. Some of you are micromanagers. If someone doesn't do what you think they should do, you're like, but David, I'm right and you might be right. So you're like, I'm going to micromanage this. I think control for you and I is a big deal. Here's why. Our desire for control can often lead to catastrophe. A lot of times when you and I grab me for control, all of a sudden you get news, whether it's medical or relationship oriented or job or school, and all of a sudden we realize, I want to fix this, I've got to fix this, I've got the right answer, but then you realize you can't fix it, you can't change it. They're not going to listen, they're not going to change. And you realize this control that I desperately want, I don't have. Many of us, when we have a bad day at work and it didn't go the way we wanted it, people didn't do what they should have done. Many of us go home and take it out on our families. We yell. We're less patient. It's odd that you and I, but I think real, that oftentimes when we have an area of our life that we don't have in control, we try to exert control somewhere else. It's a natural human behavior that if we don't have it somewhere, we're going to get it somewhere. We're going to fight for it, and it can lead to a catastrophe where all of a sudden you speak to your kids in ways you should never speak to your kids, and they never forget it. Or you speak to someone at work and you even lose your job over the fact that you're trying to grab control. So I want to talk about control. And like I said, I'm going to use a different character in the Christmas story to do this. Now what's fascinating about what I'm going to share with you today is the character is not in the nativity scene. In fact, when you and I, I don't know if you have a nativity scene out, most of us have seen this, but these are the characters of the Christmas story. Whenever you teach your kids, read it to your kids, or just talk about it as a family or whatever, you, we engage this. Many of us have different ways. By the way, you're like, did you whittle that yourself? No, come on. I couldn't do this ever. Uh, and so this is one of our family's nativity scenes. We have multiple ones. But I want to talk to you about a, a character that didn't make the scene, but he made the story. His name's Herod. Herod is a guy that's real. History books, both in the Bible and outside the Bible, detail his life with extreme detail. But you don't see him in the nativity scene. In fact, I've never seen a nativity scene that has included Herod the Great. I can tell you about Herod. Herod loved power and control. Loved it. I don't use that word lightly. I would say he craved it. He loved it. He was desperate for it. And as you and I press into the story I want us to press into the idea of control. Let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Maybe you're new to the Bible or, or you haven't read it lately. I'm going to tell you something about Herod. Herod was an incredible leader in the sense that he got a lot done. Now follow me. Track me on this. So, so Herod was known as an incredible administrator. Herod was so good at building buildings. In fact, many of us, if you were to construct something or if I were to construct something, I'm hoping it lasts a week and that's a victory. I'm taking pictures and posting it online. Look what I created. Some of you, you're skilled with your hands. You can build houses and do lots of stuff. And if a building were to last 100 years, you'd be like, this is awesome. Herod, Herod to this day, right now, I've been in the buildings. I've walked on them and been around them. I've got pictures of them. He built buildings thousands of years that still stand. They're amazing. In fact, they're even so amazing because they're in places. You're like, how did you build that there? He was an incredible administrator. He could get buildings put, beautiful buildings put, places that are absolutely amazing and secure. He built tons of them, but that was not all he did. In fact, Herod 
who, who would plan for the future of different things, he would know that famine would often come upon his area, and so he would plan for famine. And so when famine would hit, they would have food ready to distribute everywhere. The guy was brilliant at administrating. Some of us, we can never iron out one detail to another. He was brilliant at that, but what he was brilliant also at was being cruel. He was a horrible man. Yes, from, from society's standpoint, he had lots of accomplishments, but they also knew that he was brutal. In fact, if you don't know this, Herod was over many of the Jews. He was in charge of, among other things, to make sure the Jews stayed subdued. So the Romans picked the most malicious person they knew, Herod the Great. And they said, keep them subdued. And he did. He did so by killing them. Oftentimes, most of the time, for no good reason. In fact, what's been logged into some of his first acts as leader he went and had the Jewish Supreme Court completely slaughtered. No, no reason other than to show the area, I'm in charge, I'm in control. Now, I would love to tell you that that was the worst thing and only thing that Herod did. But actually, over his reign, he killed over 300 officers for no reason. He was threatened by some of them. He thought, oh, they're going to try to take me over. I am in charge here. But it gets worse, actually. Herod killed many of his own family members, his uh, son-in-law, his, his mother-in-law, his kids, his kids, his own kids, because he was afraid that they would try to take over power, so he's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this, I'm going to take control of this, and he would kill them. And in fact, get this, the leader of the Roman Empire said it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than it was to be one of his sons. He was notorious for if you threatened him in any way, you didn't have to. If he saw you as a threat, you needed to know that your head would soon be cut off and he would find great gratification in that. It got so bad. Near the end of his life, he actually became paranoid in the medical sense. Like he was losing his mind literally. And so he had it written down that the day he died, listen, he had several people arrested for no good reason. He said, the day that I die, I want you to slaughter these people so that people cry when I die. I mean, if you want to, in your mind, as you think about people in history like Hitler, Stalin, you need to put people like Herod in the same category. He was called Herod the Great, not because he was a great man, but he was a force that you never wanted to go against. He was afraid of losing control. Now you notice Herod's not in the nativity scene, but he is in the story. Look, Matthew says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Now look at this King of the Jews. See, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, okay, that sounds, you need to know that in a sarcastic way, they were making fun of him, but often the Romans would call Herod king of the Jews. And even though he didn't like it, but eventually owned it, when someone shows up in town and says, hey, where's the new king of the Jews? Someone who's a control freak is like, say what? Even though it was used in a derogatory kind of way, when the Magi show up and say, hey, we heard there's a new leader in town, King Herod's like, Oh, tell me more. And so we did hear more. We saw a star 
when it rose and, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now that you know a little bit about Herod, you know why he was disturbed. Because he was a control freak. I know some of us are like, man, Herod's nasty. <laughs> He's never going to be in my nativity scene. Like, this guy's a bad dude. And we begin to disconnect. We begin to say how bad Herod is. But let me ask you the question that I've already asked you. What do you do when you don't have control? Many of us would be like, not what Herod did. And I would, I would agree with you. The majority of mankind would never go where Herod went regarding trying to grab hold of control. But all I'm asking you is a question for you to answer in your own head. What do you do when you don't have control? Are you amazing at that? <laughs> Most of us aren't. And Herod was horrible at that. When he didn't have control, oh, he went for the throat, literally. Look at this in Matthew. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there and, until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. If you're not picturing this, let me help you. You have a leader, a leader of multiple people who hears about a baby being born. And he decides to assemble whoever he assembles, the, the advisors, the leaders, the military. And he says, all right, we have a major battle at hand. We need to kill some babies in Bethlehem. How horrible, how ugly, how nasty. So that, those magi that went to Herod, they're warned, hey, uh, don't go back to him. Don't go back to him. Don't tell him where Jesus is. Don't tell him. And so they don't. They, they don't buy into all of what Herod's lies. Like, hey, come tell me where he's at. You know, I'm buddies with them. No, they don't buy into it. And they don't go back. And that ticks Herod off. In fact, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi because they went another way home, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That's disgusting. You would agree. But let's make this personal. You may not connect to Herod or like Herod or think he's disgusting, and I would agree with you. Perhaps one of the most evil people to have ever walked this earth, the fact that he would assemble people to figure out how to kill two-year-olds and younger because he doesn't have control or he's afraid of losing it. But let me put it again on your side of the table. What do you do when you don't have control? Some of us verbally hurt other people. We scream, we yell. And in fact, if you don't know it, you and I are very observable people. <laughs> like I can share with you different categories, different reactions typically to not being in control or feeling like we're losing control. One of them is fear. Sometimes when in the midst of like, hey, you can't fix this relationship or you get told about some bad news from a doctor and you're like, um, I don't know how to control this and you recognize in the moment, I don't have control. Many of us, anxiety. Literally that moment starts to flood in. There, there are people listening, if you don't know this, who right now are paralyzed by fear because they can't guarantee that their children will always be safe. They can't guarantee that they won't get cancer. They can't guarantee that their job is always secure. They can't guarantee that their checking account will be where it is. And so many times, fear just floods us, and we live in fear. Many, I imagine many of us right now are just processing the people in our lives. We're like, yeah, I've seen this. We've seen it in our families where fear drives us. I mean, you know this feeling. I, 
Not too long ago, in fact, it's when the snow first hit us. I mean, it's fascinating what happens the first snow. Everyone loses their minds. I mean, and especially on the roads. In fact, some of you, you need to surrender your driver's license before you leave this evening. I mean, it, it gets bad. So, so that morning, I was taking our kids to school. Dropped one of them off. And then I was just heading back into town. I was about to go down a hill. And at the base of the hill was an intersection, a very busy intersection, stoplights and everything. And as I get to the top of the hill, I'm not going fast, but I'm realizing, hey, I'm not sure I'm driving on pavement. I think it's ice. And if you've ever had that, most of us have had that experience. We're like, oh, no. It's that moment where you realize this could go bad, and it started going bad. As we began to go down the hill, I noticed that I was no longer in control of my truck. And it was at that moment that I noticed the other vehicles off the side of the road already going, this is not going to go well. And then it it began to flood in my head all of the realities that I could not control because I am heading towards an intersection that I see cars very fast going by. And I notice that I am not going to be able to stop. Not only do I have my own children in the truck got a couple others that I'm transporting to school and fear. If you know that adrenaline, you know those pins and needles that start to fill your body and you're going, I don't know what to do. And, and sometimes you slam on the brake, don't slam on the brake, don't slam on the brake, don't ever do that. Oh, nice. But you begin to get crazy with the thoughts. About 20 yards away from that intersection, somehow the truck grabbed control, was able to stop. I don't think the kids knew but I was dripping sweat, gripped onto the wheel going, I'm going to get him to school. I'm going to get him. But I remember the fear. It's amazing the moment you realize you aren't in control, how powerful fear is. Maybe that's where some of you are. But maybe you've moved on from fear, and you've entered the world of hostility. (laughs) You're like, I'm not afraid. I'm out to kill. In fact, for many of us, this is where anger floods in. You recognize that they're not doing or it's not happening, and so you just get angry at them. This is what Herod did. And in fact, this is not only what Herod did, but look at John 1. John 1 tells us the reaction to Jesus. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. He was met with anger. Some of us, that's where we're at. When you don't have control, when your boss doesn't, when your spouse doesn't, when your kids don't, when the bank account isn't where it needs to be, when you don't get what you deserve, you bypass fear. And you're just angry. Many of us, we hate angry people. You're like, cheer up. You need to know what's behind that anger is oftentimes fear and and just overwhelmed because they don't have control. But I would not tell you, in fact, I don't think it is. I don't think that fear and hostility are the worst of the worst reactions to not being in control. In fact, I'll show you what the worst one is. It's indifference. See, some of you haven't even understood this whole conversation until now. You're like, David, why why is everyone so afraid? Why, Why is everyone so angry? Just give up. I think this is one of the biggest lies from the devil where he tries to tell you, you can't do anything. You're done, you're over. Just be indifferent about it. The Bible addresses this, by the way. The Bible says, don't be lukewarm. Don't be in the middle. Don't be about nothing. Don't be indifferent. It's the indifferent people that everything breaks down. What's fascinating, I don't have a verse for you for indifference. 
I'm not about to turn to, to the TV and say, all right, look at this verse in the story because it's what's not in the story. It's what's not in the Christmas story. See, we hear about Herod who's now set to kill babies and the religious leaders don't show up going, hey, Herod, don't do this. No one tells Herod to not kill the babies. No one intervenes. No one does anything. They're like, all right. That's called indifference. In the moments that you don't have control, the reaction is not going, well, whatever. Indifference will be your first step toward just losing your soul. So what do you do? What's the step? What's the process? Like, if you can't control it, some of us like, so you get angry? What do you do? Do you not care? No. Here, I'll, t- I'll tell you what to do. You, you worship. I want you to listen very clearly. If you are in a moment, a circumstance, a relationship where you recognize that you are not in control, you can't fix it, they won't listen, it's not going to change, and there's this, I, I don't have control, David. I can't make my kids make these choices. I can't make work turn out this way. I can't make school be this way. I can't. I can't change it. Your immediate reaction, and this is a choice, by the way. Notice I'm not telling you, and when you feel like it, if we only did what we felt like, can you imagine the world that way? This is, this is a decision, just like indifference is a decision. Fear is a decision. Hostility is a decision. I would tell you the posture to take when you recognize that there's a situation or a relationship you don't have control is the worship. Now, here's what I mean by worship. This is the best definition for us. It's the expression of reverence and honor to a deity. Now, some of you, you don't like that. You grew up in church and you're like, but David, deity, wrong word. What I would tell you is worship is a choice. And yes, I believe the expression of reverence and honor to God. But many of us have replaced God and put in control where we are giving reverence and honor and all of our time to control. If you want to know if that's you, it's where you think that if you could just have control over them, if you could just make the decision, if it's all about you, if you could just do it, then it would be right. When the best posture to take is to say, I can't control this, but I can worship. And I can worship the God who can change anything. This is in the story. Let me show it to you. It's in Matthew. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some of you are like, I thought that was just a song. No, it's real true. It's history. But let me take you back to the first part. They bowed down and worshiped him. If you're going, well, everybody doesn't do that. Herod didn't do that. The religious leaders didn't do that. The people around didn't do that. Notice the posture of worship came from people who were out-of-towners. Did you catch that? That no one knew that there was the Savior born, that Jesus had been born. These people from the east show up like, hey, where's the new king? And I'm like, say, what? Worship. You know what to do? Worship. If, if you're new to this and you're like, but what, what does worship look like? Well, there's multiple lists I can give you. Let me give you a list. I think this helps us. And this is not all inclusive, by the way. One is music. We talk about this all the time as a church. If you're all of a sudden getting news or learning about a relationship that you don't have control, one of the best things to do is go find some music that teaches you truth. The leaders throughout the Bible all the time did this. They're like, 
I am about to lose my mind, bring the harp in. No, I would not have chosen the harp, but that's what they had. You and I have music so accessible, more accessible than ever in human history. Are you paying attention to the music, to the words, to the emotions that you're filling your brain with? And one of the most profound things to do in worship is to put music that teaches you truth, specifically truth about God. Prayer? You're like, wait a minute, I thought we just like prayed written prayers or prayed like when we're desperate. No. See, in the midst of this, you need to, if you feel like, hey, I don't have control over this, you go to the one who can do anything, God. Read your Bible. Like, I knew you'd say that. Well, yeah. If you're, do you understand? The Bible is called the Word of God. I will not make you raise your hand, but I would imagine everyone raise your hand if you ever wanted to hear from God. Hey, I'd love to hear from God. There is the Word of God. The Bible. If you want to hear from God, I suggest that you read His words. One is silence. I hate that one. I can't stand silence. It gets creepy to me. And in fact, I, I love to be connected. Not long ago, Katie texts me. My wife, she texts me. She says, hey, I was just talking to God, and I just felt like I'm supposed to tell you that if you need to get away to have some alone time, then you need to do that. I, like any weird husband, I'm like, why are you suggesting such a thing? Have I been that difficult at home? And she's like, no, I just feel like I'm supposed to say that to you. I was like, all right. I trust you. Let's do this. So I, I set up and went and spent some time in a cabin in the woods. No Wi-Fi. My personal hell. <laughs> Couldn't get the radio to work the way I wanted to. And all of a sudden, I'm just sitting all by myself in a cabin. And I'm like, this is horrible. I did that for three hours. And I started, I concluded in my head, I'm going home. This is, this is miserable. I'm supposed to, to hear from God and talk to God and have this alone time. I think Katie missed it. I'm going home. And then I was like, well, no, I haven't made much of an effort here in this silence. So I opened up my Bible, and just picked up where I had been reading previously and just started reading. What God showed me just by reading in silence I didn't pick it, he picked it. And some of the things in my life I was recognizing that I didn't have control over, I remembered who did. Sometimes it's just the silence, and we live in a time now, it's really hard to get to silence. This church one I want to make sure I bring up. It's fascinating to me, a lot of people going, hey, I'm losing control. My, my marriage is going in a wrong way. My kids are going in a wrong way. Work is going in a wrong way. And we take a break. We leave church. The one entity that Jesus said, I am going to build the church. Jesus said, here's the source of hope. I'm going to establish the church. And many of us, when we are losing control, the church is the first thing we let go of. Or when the church does things that we don't want them to do, we back off. And I would tell you, Jesus established the church for you and I to value that when we gather once a week, we gather and we press into what God has to tell us. Many of us. It's because we're so control freaks. and It was Jesus' way to help us fight that. So let me ask you again. What do you do when you don't have control? 
What do you do when you're finding yourself in a relationship, in a circumstance, at work, at school? What do you do when you're at the doctor's office and you get news that you've got something that you're not going to be able to control? What are you doing? What's your plan? You're going to let fear dominate the rest of your life, worry and anxiety? Or are you just going to be angry and decide to hate everybody around you and blame everybody? Or are you going to be indifferent and say, I don't care, I'm just going to die, I'm going to let life just happen? Or what about looking at life with reality, not not just optimistically, but saying, hey, I can't fix this. Being open and honest, going, yeah, it, them, what's going on? I can't fix it, but I'm going to worship. I'm going to go to God who can do anything and just spend time with him. Maybe he'll tell me something I need to hear. Maybe he'll do something miraculous. Maybe he'll help me not be so afraid, so indifferent. See, when you don't have control, You need to go to what you can do, and what you can do always at any place that you're at is have reverence and honor for God and engage Him. I would tell you, one of the most honoring things you can ever do with God is when your life isn't going the way you want to, you go to Him. You just go spend time with Him. It's not weird and goofy. It's how he made life. It's how he designed it to be. What do you do when you don't have control? And if you don't like the answer, you can change. God created this incredible story. If you don't know the the disgusting part of this story, look at the legacy that Herod left. This control freak didn't make the nativity scene. I can tell you a little bit more history. His son eventually takes power and copies his dad. And in fact, some say that his son, what he learned from his father was that you can control people by being cruel to people. The only problem is his son was not as brilliant as Herod was. (laughs) He didn't build like Herod built. He was just a malicious ruler and he surrendered his legacy Every time you see a nativity scene, I want you to see something. I want you to see what you don't see. You don't see Herod. Herod's reaction could have been, there's a king of the Jews. Let's worship him. But he didn't. He was afraid of losing control. What's your legacy going to be? Are your kids and your spouse and your coworkers and everybody around you Are they going to know you as the control freak, the worrier, the anxiety-filled person, the angry person, the indifferent person, or the person that when life brought you a big, giant wave, you worshiped? Not because you felt like it, but because it was your only way of getting hope. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're gathered together, so I want you to have some time with God You're here, you're in this moment, so I'm gonna stop talking and I want you to have a conversation with God privately about control. So whatever it is in your life, whatever relationship, circumstance, whatever you're dealing with regarding control, I'm gonna leave you with some time just to talk to God about it. Go ahead.
Almighty God who has limitless power. God, I, we humbly come in front of you in a way that we need to somehow, we're just going to tell you, we need your help. Because there are things in, in our lives, and I think everyone listening has, has things in lives where, where we try to control, we try to micromanage. So God, you are so amazing, so powerful, so, so knowledgeable, full of wisdom. You know everything. So God, I pray for everyone listening, wherever they are, that you will press into their lives and help them know that whatever's going on, you are in control. God, in the moments that we feel like we're losing grip on everything, help us to fight fear and anxiety and worry and anger and indifference. God, remind us that you are in control. Draw us to worshiping you, to giving you reverence and honor, to approaching you when we don't know what to do, approaching you when we see life overwhelming us. God, I pray for everyone listening, no matter what season of life they are in, we ask that you consume every corner of it. God, thank you for the story and truth about Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for grace and mercy that brings into our lives. We want to tell you we love you. And as a church, we will do anything to follow you and to be in your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.